Today's scripture reading will be reading from the book of Mark, Mark 7, verses 31 through 37. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Epopleta, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of God. Thank you, Robert, for reading God's word to us and, and doing so on such short notice. Um, our our um, assigned scripture reader for today uh, had, a, had a, a driving event on the way over here, got into an accident. So um, we'll pray for, for Juan Franco in just a moment. But thank you, brother. Robert not only had to read the scriptures to us in English, he had to read in Aramaic today, Ephatha, he had to say, which is, yeah. So, uh, Thank you, brother. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the chance to get together today and read and hear and receive your words to us. We trust, Lord, that what you have to tell us is more than important for us. It's actually vital. We trust that if you are taking the time to communicate your word to us, it's because you know what we need. You know what we need to hear. And so, Father, we pray that you would teach us what we need to learn, that you would show to us what we need to see, that you would give us what we yet do not have. And Lord, we pray for our brother Juan, who perhaps is frustrated. We don't know if he's injured. We don't know what's going on. But we ask, Father, for safety for him. We ask for uh, wisdom for him. We ask for patience for him. And we ask that you would get him, whether it's here or home, safely. Um, we pray for all those involved. In that accident, we don't know if the boys were in the car with them. We don't know who else was involved, Lord, but we entrust them to you because we know that you, you do all things well. It's in your name that we come before you. Amen. And it's great to see all of you on this beautiful day. We get to look at this account of a healing, a miraculous healing. Now, when you start reading these accounts of Jesus healing people, it's easy to just start to lump them all together. They, they might start to all blend together in your head, and you come upon another one, and you say, well, here's, here's another healing. We've seen this before. But if you do that, then you run the risk of, of missing something really important. You, you run the risk of missing the fact that each of these healing scenes is unique. And that uniqueness really matters because each of these events is meant to communicate to us specific information about Jesus, about who he is, and about what he's about. 
Each of these healings is, is communicating to us certain things that we need to see about him and about his kingdom. So we're going to see today what this healing shows us. But first, have you noticed how, how Jesus doesn't even heal people in the same way every time? Have you noticed this? He heals people in different ways. Sometimes it's with words. Sometimes it's without words. Sometimes it's with a touch. Sometimes it's with no touch. Sometimes it's face to face. Sometimes it's from miles and miles away. It's always different. And yet the one consistent feature is that he heals people. He does it. He does it. That's the one pattern, the consistent Jesus heals. He just does. People encounter him and their lives are changed forever. In today's passage, we see another unique healing. Again, it's unique. In fact, it's not just unique, it's strange. It's weird. So last week, if you were here, we saw Jesus say something to a woman that seemed odd for him to say. But here in today's passage, Jesus does something odd. Very odd. He, he puts his fingers in this man's ears. And then he spits. And then he touches this man's tongue. That's weird, right? Would you admit it's not the way he typically heals, but this time he chose to do it that way. What if I were to say, what if I were to, say to you, in order for us to, to kind of transport ourselves and, and put ourselves in the right frame of mind for this passage today, turn to the person next to you and, and stick your finger in their ear. <laughs> so don't do it. You don't have, don't do it. Some of you already did. It's okay. I wouldn't ask you to do something like that. Of course, I wouldn't ask you. Because it's too weird. Um, yeah. Plus, I'm, I'm not much of an interactive preacher, right? So some preachers, they, they tell you, you know, turn to the person next to you and say this or do this. I never do that. Have you noticed? I never do that. And it's not because I don't, it's not, I, when other people do it, it's fine. The problem isn't that. The problem is me. I'm, some of us here, we are high-functioning introverts, right? And so as soon, if I'm sitting out there and the, pre, the preacher even begins to say, turn to the person next to you, I'm like, well, oh no, what's going, what's, what's going to happen now? It, it might, it's even my wife, you know, I don't care. It's like whoever it is next to me, I'm like, oh, what do I have to do? Oh my goodness. My, my heart rate goes up. Even saying that, my heart rate goes up. So for all of you introverts out there, I feel you. Uh, I'll never ask you to do that sort of thing. Probably not. In any case, in any case, what Jesus did here is strange. And even uh, among all the unique healings, this one stands out. So, so what does it show us about Jesus and his kingdom? I'd like us to see that it shows us at least three things. It shows us Jesus as creator, as communicator, and as savior. So in other words, he is the creator who we owe our very existence to. He's the communicator who can really get through to us. And he's the savior that the world needs. He's the creator we owe our existence to. He's the communicator who can really get through to us, to you. And he's the savior that the world needs. And as we go through this passage, we're going to see that, that, that there's this one central phrase. There, there's a point where the people, having seen what Jesus has done, they say, he has done all things well. 
He's done all things well. And we're going to take that very simple statement, and as we go through this passage, we're going to see it from some different angles. I hope that we come to, to a deeper understanding of some different meanings packed into that profound statement. He has done all things well. So first of all, this passage shows us Jesus as creator, the creator we owe our existence to. In verse 31, it says that Jesus returned from this region where he had been, the region of Tyre, and he went through Sidon through the Sea of Galilee. And so if you look at this, this map, he's in the region of Tyre. He actually heads north towards Sidon and then bends around heading, heading east and then south all the way down to the Sea of Galilee, to that area called Decapolis there. He's just kind of a roundabout way. To, it's like a 200-mile voyage for something that could have been done a lot quicker. For some reason, Jesus wanted to take his time. He wanted to get through that, those areas for some reason. We don't know what he was doing. Mark doesn't tell us. But eventually, he gets down to Decapolis. And the people bring a man to Jesus. They bring a man to Jesus who was deaf and either could not speak or had great difficulty speaking. The word can mean both things. And by the way, these, these, these are friends, by the way. These, these are the kinds of friends you want. The kind that bring you to Jesus. The Bible doesn't even say that they're friends. We don't even know if they really knew this man well. They may have just noticed that he was deaf and brought him. We don't know. But they're friends. They're friends. We don't know who they are, but whoever they were, whether they knew him well or not, this is what real friends do. They see you need help, and they guide you to Jesus. I'd encourage you to find friends like this. And if you don't want friends like this, because perhaps you're, you're right now, you want to be far from Jesus, or you're content to be far from Jesus, or you're comfortable far from Jesus, then, then you especially need friends like this. Don't get mad at people who in their flawed, fumbling, and sometimes inconsistent ways are trying to guide you to Jesus. You might get frustrated with them, but they're doing a lot more good to you than anyone who isn't directing you to Jesus. They're being a better friend to you than anyone who is not guiding you to Jesus. And so they brought this man to Jesus because he was deaf and he had a speech impediment. That is, until he met Jesus, he did. <laughs> because he met this man, Jesus from Nazareth, and all of that changed. He, Jesus gave him the power to hear and to speak clearly. And verse 37 says that the people there, when they saw it, they were astonished beyond measure. This was off the scales. This was beyond what they had ever seen before. And they said, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. It's a profound statement. On the surface, it could be translated, he does good work. He does good work. Like, a, like if you were to, if someone were to say, hey, you know, did, is there a contractor that you, that does work, on, that's done work on your house? Is there a contractor that you could recommend to me? And you say, yeah, yeah, I'll recommend so-and-so. He, uh, he does good work. Who's good work? At, at the surface level, that's what they're saying. Like, like a carpenter, that Jesus was, he, he did good work. But this, this verb to, to do even, it, it's, it can mean more than just do. It could, sometimes it's translated as make, to make. 
throughout the Bible. So even to, to make food, this would be the verb that would be used to make food. Jesus has cooked up some good things. Jesus has cooked up some delicious things, some marvelous, or, or more literally, more literally, this, this phrase could be translated this way. He has made all things well. He has made all things well. Now, there are times in Scripture when people say things without realizing the full weight and breadth of what they just said. Like they say things, but, but, but the meaning is actually deeper than what they actually even intended. For instance, I'll give you an example. It's from John 11. Some of you might know this scene. The, the religious leaders are conferring amongst each other about what to do with Jesus. They're like, he's getting so popular. What are we going to do? He's going he's to create havoc. He's, gonna, he's a threat to us. What do we do? And, 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 so, and someone floats the idea, why don't, what, well, why don't we kill him? Have we thought about that? Let's kill him. Let's try that. Caiaphas, who was the high priest at the time, it says in verse 50 of John 11, it says, you don't understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He's saying what Jesus is doing here is going to get us in trouble with the Romans. And, and, and we could either kill him, he dies, and the nation is saved, or we let him just grow in popularity, do his thing, the Romans are going to come down on us, they're going to destroy our nation. So he says it's better that we kill him so that the nation can survive. But look at what John says. John says, Caiaphas did not say this of his own accord. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. That includes us. You see, he was saying more than he knew he was saying. In the same way, this crowd, when they say Jesus did all things well, they were saying more than they realized they were saying. In Genesis chapter 1, God speaks the world into existence. And as he speaks the world into existence, on five separate occasions, it says that God saw that it was good. He saw that what he had made, and he said, I, he saw that it was good. And then finally, after he forms humans, he looks at humans and all the rest of creation, and it says, Genesis 1.31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. You see, God, the creator, had made all things very good. And these words from this crowd in the Decapolis, they echo Genesis 1. Although they didn't realize it, what they were doing inadvertently is they were identifying Jesus Christ as the creator. The, the same one who had breathed life into them had now restored the hearing and the speech of this deaf man. He was the creator. Colossians 1, 16 says, For by him, that is by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things, same phrase, all things were created through him and for him. In other words, Jesus made all things and he made it good. You see, Jesus' miracles, especially this one, 
They remind us that he is the creator. And, and, and with each act of healing, Jesus is in fact recreating. He is restoring his creation. Have you ever noticed that? That with each miracle, Jesus is restoring creation. He's restoring something, a person or, that he himself created. Or he's restoring nature to the state in which he created it. When he calms a sea, for instance, or when he heals a man. Why did you ever think about this? Why did Jesus choose to perform the specific miracles that he chose to perform? Why those specific things? He could have done other things. Why those specific miracles? Let me read this quote to you. It's from uh, the late Tim Keller. When I read, the, when I read this, I, I, when, I, when I read his words, I, I hear his voice. Have any of you listened enough to it? I listen to him so much. And I miss his voice. I miss his, uh, I miss him. But when I, when I read this, I read his voice. And, and um, but what I'm, the reason I'm reading it to you is not because it's from him. I, I'm reading it to you because I think it's, I think it's true. And I think it's, it provides us with an insight that we're, we're, it's easy for us to miss. Listen to what Tim Keller says. He says, we modern people think of miracles as the suspension of the natural order. But Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. You see, the Bible tells us that God did not originally make the world to have disease and hunger and death in it. Jesus has come to redeem where it is wrong and heal the world where it is broken. So, so his miracles are not just proofs that he has power, but also a wonderful foretaste of what he's going to do with that power. Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but a promise to our hearts that the world we all want is coming. The world we all want is coming. And with each healing, it's a preview of that coming world of that kingdom where all things have been restored, where all things have been made good again. Where brokenness is banished forever. Where, where, where every, as one has said, where everything sad has become untrue. You see the brokenness, right? We see it. We see it in ourselves. Sometimes we identify it. We call it out. Sometimes we don't want to call it out. It's, it's uncomfortable to call it out. I've heard, I've heard among some, I hope this doesn't come off as insensitive, but I've heard among some a resistance to calling certain things a disability or a disorder. Like someone, I might say, oh, that person has a disability or a disorder. They say, no, it's not a disability or a disorder. It's, it's, it's diversity. It's diversity. People are different. Some people are deaf. Some people are hearing. I think I get where that's coming from. I think I get where that's coming I think it comes from a desire to like restore a sense of dignity to those who perhaps lack the ability to hear or to speak or have some other condition. They might say, well, we don't, we don't want to label that a, dis a disorder because that makes them feel like they're less than. We, we want to instead rest restore their sense of dignity. They're just different. They're just different. I get where that's coming from, but, but really, really, I, I can't. The fact is that in the kingdom of God, the once deaf will hear. The once mute will sing. The once immobile and paralyzed will dance. 
because Jesus comes to people and, and he acknowledges their disorders. He acknowledges their conditions. And he says, I'm, I'm with you in this. I will even teach you through this condition. I will walk with you in the ta challenges that come with this disorder. I don't shame you for your disability. I, I come and walk with you in your disability, but, but I also intend to heal you. I will heal you. You see, the gospel is about restoration. It's about recreating what was broken in the fall. The gospel is all things being made well. My, my eight-year-old daughter and I, we watched this show called Best Leftovers Ever. Has anyone watched this? It's a game show where, where chefs, they get given, they're, they're given these leftovers from a restaurant or something, and they have, to, they have to make something new out of them that you would be able to present maybe in a restaurant or maybe just to, you know, picky, picky eaters, you know? And it has to be presented well, and it has to look good, and it has to be very different from the original leftovers, right? So you have, like, some, I don't know, hamburger and fries. You've got to come up with something else that you're going to make out of this leftover meal that came out of the fridge. It's pretty amazing what they can do. They take something that's kind of leftover and cold, doesn't look so great. It's been devoured. It's been handled. It's been used and abused. And they make something really great at it, out of it, usually. What Jesus does is he takes the broken and used things of this world, and he makes something much better from that. Something new. Something new. And he's doing that even now. In our lives, he's doing that even now. But that's not even where it ends. That's not where it ends, because it's, it's really just a foretaste of what one day will be. Because when Jesus returns to this world and his people are resurrected from the grave, we will, in fact, be made new. Not just prettied up and warmed up, but new. Recreated. Recreated to be what the Lord always envisioned for us to be. So if you are praying, if you're praying for some need in your life, whether it's some form of healing or transformation or rescue, I, I want to encourage you to see Jesus as creator. See him as creator. He's, he, you know, in the, in the scriptures we see him, he's, a, he's the chef who makes something good. Remember he took these fish and loaves, just a, a paltry lunch for one, and what did he do? He made it into a feast for thousands with leftovers. He's a chef who's making something good. He's the carpenter, Jesus is, who's crafting something beautiful and useful. He is renovating and rebuilding lives. He's doing that here for us. I wonder if you've experienced his renovating power. Have you experienced it? His renewing, renovating power. I know we feel like we're, we're, we don't always feel renewed, right? We don't feel like new creations all the time. We still have sin. We struggle with. At times we give into. We have weaknesses and limitations. But have you experienced change? 
Have you experienced change? In Philippians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says, and I am sure of this, because if you have experienced change, here's the point, if you have experienced change, that means that God started something, he's begun something, he's begun some renewing work in your life. The Apostle Paul says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It will be completed. It will be completed no earlier, but also no later than the day that Jesus returns. This guy may have wondered, what exactly is Jesus doing here? He's sticking his fingers in my, remember, he can't even, Jesus can't even speak to him, right? Because he can't hear him. So he walks up to him. He's, he, well, actually took him aside privately, sticks his fingers in his ears, starts putting his hand in his mouth. And I would imagine it's, it's odd, right? Because the guy probably wasn't just standing with his mouth open. Jesus has like, like, you know, get this open, like stick his, odd. Must, it must, he must have wondered, what are you doing? What are you doing? And then maybe it started to make sense. It started to make sense. But, but have you ever wondered what in the world is God doing here? What is he doing? What is he doing in my life right now? This feels scary. What I'm going through feels scary. It, it's weird. It's so uncomfortable. I don't know where this is headed. What is he doing? This passage, in part, encourages us to trust Trust that the one, when the story was over, everyone, everyone there looked and said, he's done everything well. It's encouragement to us to look at whatever God is doing right now, whatever God is doing, and approach it and view it with this kind of trust. This is the God who has always done all things well. Some of you have recently witnessed the creating power of Jesus as you've welcomed little ones into your lives. Maybe some of you are online right now. Maybe you can hear my voice if, if uh, those newly arrived little bundles of joy are not uh, crying. You've experienced this, this gift of God's creating power in your life as you welcome these little babies into your homes. Hasn't Jesus done all things well? Isn't this evidence to us? Some of you are waiting and longing to see the recreating, uh, restoring power of Jesus in your life. You're eagerly waiting and asking to see God's restoring power in the lives of your parents to see his healing in their lives, to see his healing in the lives of loved ones, or perhaps even in your own life. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Remember, remember, Jesus has, this is his track record. He has always done all things well. And, and remember this promise. He is the creator who will recreate the cosmos. He will recreate his people. He is the one who will make all things Good. If you remember last week, we, we saw that Jesus, when we approach him with requests and pleas for change or for healing or for rescue, he can say no for now. He can say no for now. We can say wait. Or we can say yes. 
and, and how he answers really is his prerogative. But, but here is your assurance. Here is your assurance. He will finally, and without exception, restore wholeness and joy and fullness to life to everyone who believes in him. Recreation is in store for you if you have trusted in Jesus. So that even if he is saying no to healing now, it's only for now. This passage shows us Jesus as, as creator, but also more quickly, he shows us Jesus as communicator. He's the communicator who can get through to us. I bet many of us would admit that we sometimes have trouble getting through to people that we love. We, we have trouble communicating with the people that we care about. We might, some, for some of us, maybe we have trouble saying what we mean. We get misunderstood. We feel like, you don't hear me. When Delimar and I, my wife, sit with young couples, the most common complaints are things like, he doesn't communicate, or she doesn't understand what I'm trying to get across. We argue differently. We, we communicate differently. Communication is hard, isn't it? Getting through to one another is hard. Some of you have been trying to communicate the love of God in the gospel to someone for years. Maybe it's your kids. If you have kids, you've been trying to communicate the gospel to your kids. Maybe it's to your parents. Maybe it's to someone, whoever it is, you're, you're, you feel like you're not getting through. You're not getting through, and, and you, you can't get through. It's like, it's like when it comes to talking about grace and forgiveness in Christ, there's no receptivity. There's no deep understanding. Communication is hard. The old 18th century bishop, J.C. Ryle, says about this passage, he says, here in Mark 7, we are meant to see our Lord's power to heal the spiritually deaf. Right? So he's saying, here's a deaf man. Jesus heals him. This is a picture for us of what Jesus can do to heal spiritual deafness. Quote, he can give the chief of sinners a hearing ear. He can make him delight in listening to the very gospel that he once ridiculed and despised. End quote. This is, this is hope for us. Jesus can get through when we can. When, when, when Jesus had touched this man, the text says in verse 34, verse 34, it says, and he looked up to heaven and he sighed and said to him, Ephatha. That is, be opened. And his ears were open. Now, now I'm, not, I'm not trying to over-spiritualize this whole thing, but I agree with, with, with Mr. Ryle, Bishop Ryle. This particular healing here is here to show us that Jesus can get through. Where we can't get through. Look at what he does first in verse 33. It says, in talking to him and taking him, excuse me, aside from the crowd, privately, he put his fingers in this man's ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue. What's going on here? It's as if Jesus is saying, come with me, let's talk. Let's talk, you and me. But he can't say these things. This man doesn't understand. So he says, he says let's talk. Privately, privately. You see, Jesus wasn't even doing this for the crowd. He wasn't doing this to get likes and follows, right? This wasn't a kind of like public recorded act of philanthropy so that people will applaud and say, oh, nice guy. 
No, no, no. Jesus says, privately, let's talk. And then the fingers go in the ears, and the spit, and the hands go in the mouth. This is all cryptic to us. But, but what is happening here, I believe, is it's, it's communication of a sort. It's communication at this man's level. It's, it's a kind of sign language, some have said. The ears are stopped. This tongue, it doesn't work. As he looks to have any points to heaven, it's a, something that Jesus would often do in these moments. It's kind of communication. There's help coming. There's help coming. It's coming from God. And then he sighs. It's, it's this non, it's not language, right? Sighing is not language, but it's, it's expressive. And then he speaks. And maybe it's the first words this man ever heard. Ephaphtha, be open. Be open. Jesus spoke these words in Aramaic. They're, they're the, it's not the Greek. It's not the language that books would have been written in. This is the language of down-to-earth people. This is the language of the masses. And this man heard and understood for the first time. His ears were opened. In fact, I would say beyond just his ears being opened, he himself was opened. And this is what Jesus does. Jesus does. He gets through when others cannot. He did this for me. Jesus took me. Unbeknown, I didn't realize why this was all happening, but I, I moved to the other side of the world. as far away from the influences that I had in my life here, some very good, some very bad. And while I was in a faraway place, over the course of a year, slowly but surely, my ears were open to hear his words. It's as if in hindsight, I look, it's almost like he said, come, come, let's talk. Come with me. I began to accept what he told me about myself. When he told me about my sin and my hopelessness in the scriptures. And his promises began to make sense to me. They rang true. Has this happened to any of you? Have you had this experience? Where Jesus takes you aside and says, let me show you. Let me show you something. Maybe, maybe he's going to talk to you through a, 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 a friend. Maybe it's going to be through the very pages of Scripture as you read them on your own. Maybe it's going to be through someone preaching the gospel to you. But he's taking you aside, and finally he's breaking through, and, and, and you're hearing it, and you're finally open to receive all that he has for you. Jesus gets through. He gets through. He decisively unplugs our spiritual ears to finally get him. And opens us up to himself. So that means, that means that there is hope for those who seem so closed. Brothers and sisters, if there are people in your life who seem resistant or numb to Jesus' words, who seem resistant and numb to his compassion, to his love, keep asking him to open. Keep bringing them to Jesus. Whether it's bringing them here. <laughs> And some other, bring them to Jesus, keep guiding them to Jesus, pointing them to Jesus, because he can get through. And notice in verse 35, it says not only were his ears unplugged, this is in verse 35, that his tongue was released and spoke plainly. This man, he enabled this man to, to start to communicate himself. Literally, it, it says that the, the band or the chain on his tongue was released. It's as if his tongue was being released from prison. This brings some hope for us, too. It means that he can help us 
to speak. He can help us to communicate our hearts patiently, to open ourselves up to one another, even those of us who maybe feel like we're, we're locked boxes. We don't, we don't really say a whole lot about what's going on in here in our hearts and our head. Jesus can change that. Jesus, the communicator, as he transforms and he sanctifies us, he makes us communicators. Here's what I mean in a sense. Because of the gospel, we can say, we can start communicating to others, um, I'm not doing well. All is not well in my life right now. Here's where I'm suffering. Here's where I'm sinning and struggling. I haven't done all things well. Frankly, often I feel like I haven't done anything well. I'm making a mess of my life. I need rescue, help. The gospel opens us up and releases us to start talking to others like that and talking to Jesus like that. He is the communicator who gets through to us. He opens up to start revealing ourselves to one another with the confidence of the fact that if, if, if he really is the creator, if he is really who he says he is, then, then it's safe for me to open up about what's going on in my life. It's safe for me. In fact, it's necessary for me to start communicating to him and to others where I need help. And then finally, lastly, this passage shows us Jesus as Savior. He's the Savior that the world needs. The Savior of the world. Isn't it good to know that our Lord does all things well? Because we don't do all things well, do we? I haven't done all things well. Don't we all have regrets? You know, I never, I never understood how, how someone could say, I've got no regrets. I hear people say, I have no regrets in my life. No regrets. I don't get it. How? If you feel that, explain it to me, please. How can you say you have no regrets? Really? Nothing? Nothing? You've never hurt anyone? You never destroyed a relationship? Now, I really, maybe, maybe we're saying that because it's like, I know we, we learn from our failures, right? So you say, I don't regret it because I learned from it. It made me stronger. It made me better. Okay. You still don't regret it? You don't wish you had done better, learned it some other way? You don't wish that you had not dishonored God and, and dishonored others and, and, and dishonored yourself, yourself? If you do have regrets, this healing scene, there's a, there's a word here for us, for you, that we need to, to look at. In verse 32, there's a word there, it's a speech impediment. Um, it's two words in English, but in the original, in the Greek, it's one word. And um, some Bible translations say uh, he could hardly talk. Others say he spoke with difficulty. Different ways of saying the same thing. But that Greek word there, it only shows up in one other place in the whole Bible. One other place. It's in the Greek version of Isaiah 35 which is a prophecy. It's a pivotal prophecy. And we're almost done here. I'm gonna, I want to show you this, this prophecy from Isaiah 35. Now, now, this whole section of Isaiah previous to this chapter is all about judgment. It's about God's going to bring judgment on Israel and judgment on the nations because of their sins. It's bleak. But then things take a turn in this chapter, in 35. God comes and he, and he offers a word of hope and assurance. Look what he says. He says, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong. Fear not, 
Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. You see, when you hear, we hear vengeance and recompense, that's scary, right? But we've got to see what God's, what, what God's saying here. On the one hand, he's saying he's going to come to save you. He's going to come to save his people. That means that the recompense that he's bringing, in part, it means that that recompense, he's bringing it upon himself. He will bring the vengeance of God upon himself as Savior, as the perfect sacrifice. But he will also come with vengeance and recompense from God for those who reject him. So there's judgment for those who reject him, but for those who receive him, who believe in him, your recompense is on me, he says. I'm coming to save you. I'm coming to save you. And then, and then verse 5, it says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Sound familiar? The ears of the deaf unstopped. And then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. And there's that word for mute. It's the only other place it shows up in the scriptures. The tongue of the mute will sing for joy. Joy, it's a, it's a picture of God's redeeming, rescuing work. Jesus is the Savior that the world needs. He's the Savior we need. Look, he, he, in the only way that he could be both judge who brings recompense and, and vengeance on those who reject him, but he also brings salvation by, by, by himself enduring the vengeance and the recompense that we deserve. The only way he could do both those things is because he was the sinless, perfect Savior. Jesus lived to his maximum potential every day. That's just another facet of of that idea, that that phrase. He has done all things well, right? We we saw him from creation. He makes all things well. He's a creator. But also, also, he has done all things well in the sense that he has lived perfectly. Every step he took, every word he spoke, every thought that he thought, everything that he accomplished in this life, he did well. He lived well. I heard someone say recently that, um, a preacher said, if we, if we had 1,000 chances to live like Jesus, like if we just had to like redo it, let's try again. All right, I learned from my first life. Let me come back and try again. I, oh, I messed it up. Let me come back and try again. If God just gave us 1,000 chances to try to live this life well, we would fail. We could never do it. Any of you ever seen that Tom Cruise movie? I think it was called Live, Die, Repeat, something like that, where he's, uh, he's on a mission. It, it, he's, he's fighting aliens. He's on a mission, and... He keeps failing. Tom Cruise keeps failing. Can you believe it? And so, but every time he dies, he gets to come back and try again. And he dies, he comes back, tries again. Countless times, I forget how many, countless times, until finally he nails the mission in the end. But it took him hundreds upon hundreds of attempts, like a video game. If we were given countless <laughs> opportunities to, to give our best shot at this life, we would never nail it. Jesus nailed it on the first try. Perfection. He did all things well. And then he died for people who consistently do all things pretty badly. Mediocre at best. If you have regrets, I would argue you should. 
The Bible says that all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Isn't that, doesn't that sound regrettable? Romans says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, the gospel isn't flattering. The gospel confronts us with our regrettable failure, and then it tells us to lay those failures at Jesus' feet. And Jesus comes to you. Jesus comes to you. He's doing it even now. Even now, in this moment, Jesus is coming to you, and he is saying, let's talk. He is the Savior you need. And all he asks is that you trade in your sins for his perfect life. You trade in your sins for his cross. And you trade in your death for his resurrection. If there are areas in your life where you know you are not doing things well, you know that you are living in a way that Jesus looks at and says, that's not the way. That's not the way. Will you abandon that way? Will you abandon that way and trust in the one who knows what it looks like to do all things well? Do not reject your own future by rejecting him. Last night, last night, Delimar and I got to attend a good friend's wedding. Our sister in Christ, our, our Puerto Rican sister in Christ, married an Egyptian brother in Christ. And it was, it was beautiful. This brother showed up with his whole crew of Arabic-speaking family and friends, and her big Latin American family was there, plus friends from every tongue, tribe, and nation, you know, the uh, uh, gringos and African-Americans and Asi every Asian, everyone, everyone, and, and you name it. And his pastor led us in prayer in Arabic. I, never, I don't know. I'm... I've never been led in prayer in Arabic, and it was beautiful. And, and we sang the goodness of God, which is one of my favorite songs. We sang it in English and Spanish and Arabic. Oh, Lord. And, and at that moment, I was reminded of this reality. I was reminded, one, that Jesus' kingdom welcomes in the nations. We've been looking at that recently. And then I remembered our friend's story. I remembered our sister who was up there getting married and I remembered her story of brokenness and betrayal and pain and hopelessness at times and so much loss. And, and as I saw them getting married, I was left with a resounding realization. He does all things well. He does all things well. And even if she wasn't getting married that day and if she never got married, she would still say with us, he does all things well. This marriage was just one other evidence of how he does all things well. But he had been doing things all well for her from the beginning. And, and, and as I was looking at this, I'm seeing transforming stories. I've seen Jesus transforming these stories of tragedy and loss. In that moment, he had transformed it all into this dancing and loud Loud, oh my goodness, I'm getting too old. It was, so, it was way too loud. Loud celebration. And we had to confess, he has done all things well. One day we will all say it. We will. You may find yourself in a place right now where it's hard to see that Jesus is doing things well for you right now. But one day we will confess it together. And when we look at each other and we'll know, he has always done all things well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for revealing your son to us in the pages of scripture. Holy Spirit, please open us up to receive and to understand and to live in the light of what you've shown us about Jesus, our creator, the one who communicates and gets through to us and the one oh, whose salvation we so desperately need. 
In Jesus' name, amen.